0: Welcome to 15 minutes of mental toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge, it connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. it was very lonely and very um turbulent kind of mentally emotionally uh you know people are of the mindset which with good reason you know um your life is perfect you just signed a hundred million dollar contract um i would have given back all the money to just pitch well again i would have taken minimum salary and dominated major league hitters dude that would have been a much better life but sitting there under the weight of all the money and expectations, and then pitching terribly for years was—it was very turbulent. Um, like I said, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of shame.
1: Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell. That's D R R O B B E L L. To this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly seven in ten Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug free, non habit forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at dot com and stop dreading your alarm. Some sleep, it gives you Zs. So our guest today is a uh, two-time World Series champ. And as he calls it, it's a tale of two rings. Uh, he's the Cy Young award winner, towning musician. He was the rhino on The Mass Singer. Uh, one of his new songs, which I recommend, is called Ballpark Kids. we we'll put the link in there for everybody. And he's an author. His book is called Curveball. How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fame and Fortune. It's an absolutely fantastic book. He's married, has three sons, Mars, Mercer, and Rome. Our guest is none other than Barry Zito. Barry, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks
0: for having me. This is fun, man.
1: So I read your book, and you know I was enraptured by it. And I think there's so many items that we want to cover today. But I first have to admit, now, I rarely watch TV, but on Wednesday nights, you know, my kids, man, they started watching Mass Singer. Yeah. And when we saw the rhino come out, and after your first performance, since I had just read your book, man, I caught it. I said, but that that's Barry Zito.
0: Did you really? Wow. That's
1: incredible. And, and I have to thank you, man, because you made me look clairvoyant in front of my kids, because they were like, who? And then I went, got to tell them about it and talk about your faith. And, you know, thank you for that, man.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Good timing on that. Yeah, I think that uh, The Mass Singer was really fun. You know, Jenny McCarthy, uh, you know, I think she's known for doing a little, maybe a little too much research. So she was the first one to come out with, you know, my name. And that was that was later, though. I want to say that was after three or four weeks um, of performing. And then she started throwing my wife's name out there. And so I was like, wow, Jenny's probably like on a Google search somewhere right now. But, you know, it's hard to not Google when you're a judge, I'm sure.
1: Right. What was that whole experience like,
0: man? Um, the experience was, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I went into songwriting and moved to Nashville, um, from California when I retired. So, you know, music was not new to me and I grew up in a musical family. So, you know, it's something that I've always wanted to pursue full time, but singing on stage in a crazy costume where you can't even see what's going on. Um, you know, and singing live too is a whole other animal. Um, no pun intended. And, uh, you know, so for me, it was cool because I got to pick my costume. They gave me, I think, three or four options. And so the rhino was just like the coolest looking costume.
1: That's awesome. I mean, did you think you were going to you know, be that successful and make it that far?
0: No, I never did. I thought I was just trying to get past round one. Right. And uh, when I got past, well, the we shot three episodes in the first weekend. So when I made it past the first three, I was blown away. Um, and then I came back to Nashville for a couple of days before the next, you know, the fourth episode. But um No, the whole thing was like a wild ride. I mean, I have no idea how, you know, I even made it that far, but you know, I think it was, uh, I was like the sensitive rhino. I think that was kind of an interesting push-pull, you know, juxtaposition for people. So I think they like that.
1: Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. Our new book, Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Can be bought anywhere books are sold, or go to the website, pukeandrallybook.com. You know, one of the things I always say, um, how everyone's an athlete, our office is just different. You know, how did life, you know, as an athlete, how did that transfer into, you know, fatherhood, and then, you know, especially, you know, the music industry? Yeah,
0: I mean, that's an interesting saying that you uh, that you have there, because, I definitely think that life is always approached the same way. You know, if you're going to approach success or failure, you need to do it kind of how you would in sports. And, um, you know, I would kind of uh, apply those lessons to things in my family, you know, and it, I mean, it goes back to, I, I was went through some 12-step stuff too, but, you know, essentially it's, you know, control the things I can, uh, accept the things I can't control. Uh, Which sounds very simple. um, But it's one of the hardest things to do. But ultimately, that leads to so much peace. And so applying those hard learned lessons in baseball, when I tried to, you know, throw the ball and control what the hitter was doing, or, you know, I had to strike this guy out, or I had to win a game in order to feel worthy as a human being or valued as a, you know, as a person. Um, that was just too much pressure I was putting on the result. And of course, when I did that, I almost never got the result I was looking for. And uh, so when I was like, hey, I'm just going to throw this ball the best I can. And yes, I want to win the game. Yes, I want to win the World Series. Yes, I want to justify my contract, but I can only just throw this baseball. And so when I was actually just being a little more realistic with a positive, you know, with a healthy perspective, um, these magical results would just happen. And uh, it's quite ironic, I think, in life, you know, when we're not so desperate to get the result, we usually get it. Um, but when we're hanging our life on it, it's almost never going to come and we're going to drive ourselves insane in the in the meantime.
1: And I absolutely love that because, you know, that focus on the process that we talk about um,
0: yeah. and the, and the wisdom know the difference, right? The wisdom know the difference. Yeah. And that's the big part, right? Because we get it all messed up. Oh, sorry about that.
1: No, no worries, man. I got a lot of uh, experience in those rooms as well, man, which, uh, you know, it, it drew me to you. Um, so in terms of your story, I mean, you know, you won the Cy Young, you were age 24. You're the fourth youngest to be able to do it. And you talked about in your book, you know, it was like the plan. It was your dad's plan, right? I mean, it had a vision of 300 wins for you, multiple Cy Youngs. And you talked about like, yeah. there, there was just no gratitude in it. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting it's kind of interesting to look back because <clears throat> the way I was raised was, um, um, it was, I was raised in a spiritual church. And so, you know, spiritual is a very general term. Um, but the way I was raised was, you know, you can have anything you want or desire in your life if you can manifest it, if you can think properly about it and, you know, put good things out there and expect, you know, be expectant. Which I fully believe in a lot of those things. But I also, you know, from personal experience, I know that I've been in those headspaces and I never, I didn't get what I wanted, um, you know, as an adult. But when I was believing like that and also having a lot of success as a child uh, and an adolescent and then going into early in the major leagues, winning Cy Young's, I was still of this mindset. You know, it was very easy to start patting myself on the back and taking credit for everything. And I remember a time in 2003. It was my third season, and I had come out, you know, kind of like a rocket ship in my career. And, um, and this woman came up to me, and uh, in the Ritz Carlton in Philadelphia after a game, and she was like, "Barry, you must be so grateful for this curveball that, like, you've just been blessed with, like, me." That you know, and I got offended, and really, I got upset at her. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've been working my whole life. I I was throwing that curveball in my backyard for hours every day. You know, and so that just shows you where my head was. It was like, no, this is all about me. And so, you know, uh, but it's just funny now I look back on that. I'm like, I, I mean, I can't even take credit for like waking up this morning, right? And it's just funny because I feel like people, we will tend to take credit for some things but not for others because it's like, whoa, you can't take credit for breathing in your sleep, dude. Like, you know, like I would never do that. But yet I would take credit for a curveball. And it's just strange because how many other kids threw a curveball when they were little? Like a million of them. I have no idea why mine broke more, you know, and, and I can't take credit for that, Um And so as an adult, you know, kind of getting ripped apart multiple times, uh, as a major leaguer, uh, now I'm just like, I, I have no idea how I even got guys out in the major leagues. Like it's, it's like gone completely to the other side. I'm like, man, I, I don't even know.
1: You talk about your own willpower, the self-control you can manifest it. Like if you think it. Yeah. And I guess that's good like when things are going well because then you just take credit for it. But what happens then when you do start to struggle and started to search earlier in your career?
0: Yeah, so when you are taking credit for all of your stuff, right? All your success and it feels good and you want to take credit, right? Because people are patting you on the back and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sweet. Um, but the if you don't have something to deflect that success to, which for me now is God, um, if you don't have something to say, you know what? I'm just, that's God like gave me these gifts. I mean, I'm working my butt off, no doubt, right? I'm i am putting in the, you know, I, I use this thing, you know, stay on my side of the fence. So my side of the fence is, you know, eating right, drinking water, you know, getting my workouts in every day, right? Um, having the right mindset when I'm going out there, focusing on the right things, you know, and just being totally committed to every pitch, right? And if I can execute that, then the other side of the fence is, you know, the baseball gods or, you know, God or whatever it is for somebody, their higher power. Okay. And then it becomes this beautiful team partnership. But when I start taking credit and trying to, you know, get everything on the other side of the fence too, right. Oh, I'm going to strike this dude out. I'm going to throw a shutout today. It's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Now everything's getting kind of mixed and mingled the wrong way. And so what would happen is, if I would do that and I didn't throw a shutout, well, this is my fault because I didn't man, I didn't visualize this the right way. Okay. And then I would just try harder to to figure out how to get that result and harder. And then came the blame, you know, I'm, I'm blaming myself. I'm hating myself. Now I'm in shame because I can't figure this out. And, you know, enough years of that. And finally, like the paradigm just shifted. I'm like, I can't even, I can't live like this anymore.
1: Yeah. So what would like, how much pressure would you put on yourself after winning, you know, coming out? I mean, even before the giants, I mean how much pressure would you come out there in terms of trying to control the results?
0: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, when I started my career, I kind of didn't really know what I was up against and I was just out there and I was just like, I'm going to kill it. Like I'm, you know, I have all this momentum from coming up through the minors, you know, really quickly and all that. But when I started to, you know, when it hit home that I'm like, okay, now I'm in the big leagues, there's no higher level let's just keep repeating the success. You know, I had success. Now, how do I repeat it? And that was a new challenge. Cause you know, in most things there's always a next level we're always trying to get to. But when you're like, okay, now I'm at the highest level. Now just stay here. That's a, that's when a different things happens. And I went into like a maintaining mindset. Okay. Now I just have to maintain success and I still worked hard and all these things, but, um, my focus shifted to results. Um, And so after the Cy Young, I was like, okay, now just go out there and win 20 games every year. It's like, okay, that's, I have no idea how to, how to do that. I mean, I can execute a pitch. I I can wrap my head around that. But, um, so I started to put myself a lot of pressure on myself to have these perfect results to justify all the attention. And then, you know, I signed this huge contract. I go to the giants and, you know, as the highest paid pitcher of all time, and you know, I'm sitting there going, I have to literally throw a shutout every game to justify this money. And completely obsessed with results, um, you know, totally lost the moment, lost the pitch, because I was so scared of failing that I lost the experience of just like giving myself to every pitch. And so that went on for many years.
1: And at the highest level, I mean you you know, you're six years in the majors, you signed that free agent contract, Brian Sabian. He, he had some impactful words for you, too, when you signed that contract, didn't he? Yeah, when I signed the contract,
0: he said, you know, it was for $126 million, And so he said, you might as well tattoo that number on your forehead because that's all you're ever going to be seen as from this day forward. And, you know, I kind of chuckled it off, but um, that became true. I mean, I became... You know, I was this like young, kind of surfery yoga kid that people thought was different, you know, in the Bay Area in Oakland. And then I became the hundred twenty-six million dollar man. He better not screw this up. And it's just like, whoa, man, I was not prepared to handle all that. And I think it's because I was so obsessed with people's opinions of me all along. You know, a lot of these athletes. Keep their head down, they get their work in, and they could care less if people are screaming their name or if they walk into a place and people are running up for autographs. Me? No, I was obsessed with it. I was like walking to a coffee shop, like, who wants a signature? You know, like looking around for people because I was deeply insecure. You know, I did not have a foundation of identity um, beyond baseball, beyond my performance, you know, as a man. And so, you know, if I'd had God that defined me beyond what I do, or, or my works, so to speak you know as a child i mean i think i would have had a much different career uh, my talent would have not been you know uh, blocked by my own kind of fear uh you know and maybe i would have got close to 300 i don't know i was on pace for you know six and a half seven years i was on three and a win pace and then in
1: came all the fear Talk talk us through that a little bit deeper man if you can because that's the part that i'm always fascinated by i mean you know, you're you're out there. You're pitching from a place of fear, trying not to mess up, and every move that you do is just critiqued. And mm-hmm. at the same time, affirmation junkie, right? Like, want the pass in the back because that's a good feeling. Um, what do you remember? Even before 2010, what do you remember about that in terms of you know what what that experience was like?
0: I mean, it was very lonely and very um, turbulent, kind of mentally emotionally. Uh, you know, people are of the mindset, which with good reason, you know, um, your life is perfect. You just signed a hundred million dollar contract. Um, I would have given back all the money to just pitch. Well, again, I would have taken minimum salary and dominated major league hitters. Dude, that would have been a much better life. Um, but sitting there under the weight of all the money and expectations and then pitching terribly for years, was it was very turbulent um like i said a lot of self-hatred a lot of shame um you know i had this huge you know eight nine million dollar house you know up in the mountains which was 45 minutes away from the field you know it's almost like i knew that i was gonna like not want to be near san francisco because i was just afraid that like i was gonna screw up the contract so i bought this crazy house in the mountains and i would go out there by myself in this like Dream home and look over these mountains from this like hot tub, and I would just sit there and be like completely lost, totally empty inside, so like clueless as to how I was ever going to like pitch well again, you know, and this was like year two of a seven year contract, so I mean I was miserable miserable wow
1: man because I mean again, from the outside, right I mean, you're checking all the boxes, man, success yeah. you talked about MVP of the club scene as well, fortune mansion. Yeah. $150,000 sound system, which, which does sound nice by the way, man. But, but I mean, it yeah, was, Now I listen
0: to it now I have a Bluetooth speaker in my kitchen. <laughs> it's like yeah. I had to go through that phase, right. To like wire the whole house. And now I'm like, yeah, Bluetooth speaker is the same.
1: Cool. But you still, and, and you still felt empty.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing. I mean, that's, that's what the book's about. I mean, I'll ultimately like my book is just simply me like, firing a warning flare from the other side of the rainbow saying like there's no pot of gold over here okay and by pot of gold i don't mean money i mean like truly what we're all after which is fulfillment deep fulfillment we want peace in our hearts we want fulfillment how are we going to get it and we all chase it you know i'm in the studio i work full-time in the studio by myself every day right trying to come up with some new things and music and how to be successful but what I know now is even if I write a song that charts on the, you know, billboard 100, number one, I know that nothing is going to change. Now it will feel good and I'll feel validated for my skills, but I know that ultimately once that wears off, whether it's a week or a month, like I'm going to be right back to where I started and be looking for that next thing. That's going to give me that quick hit of like, oh, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Oh, I'm loved. Okay. I, they approve of me. And, I mean, if we all ask ourselves, you know, everyone that's listening, like how many times have you achieved something and then gone back to baseline? Not that much longer. And you're like, crap, what do I got to do now? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, all the sports cars and mansions and celebrity women and all the things that I thought were going to like fill me up just left me hungrier and more empty, you know?
1: When I studied uh, Super Bowl champions, one of the things that I was fascinated by, man, was when Brett Favre held up a Super Bowl trophy. You know, it's the same thing, right? Holding up the World Series trophy, man. And it's like, he said, is that it? And I remember pausing and really going back and then delving into it. And I was like, why would he say, is that it? And we know Brett Favre, man, very emotional player. You know, I mean, would cry after wins, cry after losses. And he didn't know what to feel. And the reason why he was saying that is because he just, he didn't want it to end, man. He loved that process so much that even if it was great result, like no one's going to say losing the Super Bowl is better than winning, but even though it was a great result, he, he just didn't want it to end, man. He loved the process that much.
0: Totally. And so ultimately we just have to say, maybe I'm not actually going for the thing that I'm trying to get. Maybe what I love is the feeling of trying to get there, you know, and ultimately that's it. So for me, you know, after getting left off, so the way that San Francisco story ends is, you know, five poor pitching years later, I got left off the playoff roster and, you know, essentially was paid all this money to lead my team to the World Series. We finally get to the playoffs after my fifth year with the Giants. And then they tell me, hey, go on home, you know, come back next year. We're going to take our top four starters. You're kind of not pitching great right now. And so I had to like, convince my manager to let me stay with the team while they went into the playoffs and to just like stay loose and warm up and like, you know, stay sharp in case somebody got hurt. And so that was a very destructive experience for me. And I ended up rooting against the team right in my mind. And, you know, I I admitted that in my book, people were not happy, but I was just trying to be honest. Like, yeah, I want them to fail if I'm not out there. I mean, that's how insecure I was. I couldn't even root for my own team if I wasn't the center of the attention. And so you know, they ended up winning the world series and without their hundred million dollar man. And so essentially that sent me into a, you know, a huge tailspin and wanted the 12 step. Um, And for codependency, I was so obsessed with people's opinions and other people's thoughts of me, you know, and that kind of opened my eyes to, I'm, you know, step two is willing to admit there's a higher power that can restore me my sanity. And I never believed in a higher power before that. I was like, I kind of am the higher power. I mean, if I can manifest my success then that's, I'm the guy. And so, um, and then, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, six, seven months later. And now what's cool is like, God handles the results. I get to work as hard as I possibly can. And uh, Danny Heron, a former pitcher and also a good friend of mine always said, and he had a great, a great approach to this, but he was like, results are for other people. That's not for you. Like your job is to make pitches and let everyone else obsess on that stuff. And it's just such words of wisdom. And so taking those lessons into music or raising kids is like, I, I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. All I know is I can show up every day and give everything I got. And if I can give everything I got or close to it, it's going to be good. And I'm going to feel at the end of, you know, his, you know, at the end of my life, at the end of uh, the day, I'm going to feel like, no, I, I pretty much did that how I want to do it.
1: And I, I love that piece so much, man, because one of the things I like to convey is like, we're in the process business. We're not in the results business, but it's yeah. easy, it's easy to say, right. It's easy. One of those things to say, but it's like when when you can touch on that, you can control it. But then when you were brought to your knees, I mean, that was rock bottom 2010, right? I mean, you're you're not gonna be a part of this team. And you talked about that, that actually was the ring that you appreciated more, man. Can you, you know, because that's what led you to Christ. And I mean, talk, talk us through that, man, about what that whole transformation then was like and how that took place.
0: Yeah. So like, you know, for me, the 2000 i i got a ring in 2010 right i was on the team um but you know i ran out there to get the ring the next year they always give the world series rings usually in the first homestand the following right. season so i ran out there to get the ring and the whole stadium like not you know felt like the whole stadium but booze everywhere and i'm like sweet you know just driving in and so dude, i always dude, real quick
1: bear what, what was that like man
0: Oh, it's a, I mean, it's like somebody that prided themselves on like my stature, right? Because when I was like winning 20 games in Oakland and like being the man in the Hollywood club scene, I was like, yeah, I'm the man. So like priding myself on, I'm the man, right? Well, I kind of deserved it (laughs) because I had this very unbalanced sense of self. I was taking credit for everything in my life. And so it was miserable. It was terrible, you know? I mean, there was multiple times when I would like go back into the science giants clubhouse, either into this closet right by my locker room. And I would go in there and shut the door and like, literally just like tears would start flowing or like, you know, there was times when I would like call my mom, you know, as a grown man, like call my mom crying, like from, you know, the, um, sometimes I'd pitch bad on the road and I'd get the visiting clubhouse's office. And I'd say, Hey, can I, I need a phone call? I'd call my mom or my dad, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I sucked out there today, you know? And, But I mean, that's how like disastrous like my mindset was, you know? And so, but I needed that. I needed that to wake up from the illusion that I can do this on my strength alone. And I think a lot of people live through that illusion. Sometimes uh, certainly money, money will give you that illusion, right? When you don't really have any major needs and you can kind of just do it. Or if you're incredibly uh, intelligent, you can kind of figure stuff out in life and you don't really need to lean on any higher power, any God. Um, thank God I was humbled that way for so many years. And then finally I listened. Right. Um, but you know, I I needed that experience to teach me that there was a new way to live life. And I didn't know that there was, I just kept saying, no, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. Kept beating my head against that same wall for years Mm. And then eventually when I said, you know what? I can't do this alone. And I felt like comfort in saying, I can't do this alone. You know, my whole life, if if I said that, coming from a positive thinking kind of spirituality, I can't do this alone. My mom would be like, well, no, 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 no. You don't want to put that out there. Like, cancel that thought. Like, you're going to, that that's like weakness, you know? Or my dad would be like, "No, well, no, you can, you're a champion. You know, I was like, okay, oh, I can do this then, you know? And I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times with the youth is, we want to inspire people to feel confident and have high self-esteem, but ultimately we we can't we can't do this by ourselves. We need people, we need friends, we need family, we need God, we need other things, and um, that's why I think failure is the greatest teacher ever. Yeah. If we can pay attention to the lessons it's giving us instead of just try to beat our head against the wall more, then it it can be transformational.
1: So I want to talk about 2012 in just a second, but you kind of touched on something. So I'm trying to be a good host here and follow down that path. I mean, you, 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 you lost both your parents. I mean, your sister is older, Mm -hmm. so you were kind of an only child growing, you know, growing up and they showered you with, you you're special Barry, right? Like you're special. I mean, this is what's destined for you. I mean, what's, what's the balance? What advice would you have then for parents when it comes to that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Cause you know, I've, I got three boys and a six year old is the oldest. So we're just starting to get into that age where we're really starting to shape, you know, like him, how he sees himself. And, um, so for me, uh, my parents certainly meant well. Um, but I was getting a lot of, you know, you're special, you're different. Um, you're just amazing. And so I started to believe it. Right. Um, and like I said, they, they meant well. Um, there's a book called The Drama of the Gifted Child that really opened up my eyes to what was happening with my father. And my father was a great jazz musician. He was worked for Nat King Cole for many years. He had his own dreams of fame and fortune, as everybody does. And um, But what I realized is he was transferring his need for fame and fortune onto me. And, um, but he was always there and we were working together in the backyard every day, but it was not totally healthy because, um, I started to worship the idol of fame and fortune. And I was bowing down to the idol of success on the baseball field and literally willing to give anything to get it, even my sanity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, always being, um, kind of, uh, what's the word? you know um, I guess built up by my parents I would walk into rooms you know as a a college kid or an adult and in my own mind I would kind of feel like I'm special man and you guys aren't you know and it never came across that way I wasn't some like arrogant guy that was like whatever but kind of in my mind which I think is even worse uh, because it's it's a little more deceitful um, I was feeling superior to others because I always had this incredible baseball success that was defining, you know, my self-worth. And it makes
1: sense too, man. Cause then when that success isn't there, then th- there has to be something else that has to fill that. Hey man, I am special because that's the belief all along. So that's it, right. Th- which is a good, yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, man. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, yeah, th- that's exactly right. So yeah. when the baseball success started to go away, wait, I'm special. How do I, how do I figure out how to be special still? Okay. I'm going to go in the Hollywood clubs and be the man and like date the, you know, the hot chicks or whatever, or I'm going to drive the coolest car. So I would buy the Audi R8 or Ford GT or the McLaren or like whatever. You're right. I was just kept filling this gap inside me and, and I was trying to throw everything at it and it, yeah, it worked for a little bit and then it was gone. And then it was like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. It was an endless struggle, you know?
1: So 2010 was the hinge moment. Um, your faith started to take place. And then in 2012, man, you is my favorite part of the book, because you talked about like, you you were just focused on the process, man. And the results, that experience was totally different for you. Wasn't it?
0: Yeah. 2012 was, you know, vastly different. um, Because I, I made these little, uh, I made these little charts that I would, they were kind of like process oriented charts and, uh, what I would do is I would write the lineup out to the team I was facing and that would be kind of in the left column. And then, uh, across on the top, I would put this kind of saying that was just like a nice saying, like, you know, <clears throat> my job is to make a pitch. Like God has the rest, you know, something like that. <clears throat> and then every, every inning um, I would come in after the inning and I'd pull out this chart from my, you know, my jacket pocket and I would fill it out. And essentially the chart was, I'd go down every hitter, like a box score. And I would just, I would have to remember. Um, but I started to play a a different game within the game. So my game was, can I, can I make every pitch to this hitter right here? Can I be totally committed on every pitch? Right. And so, you know, first pitch fastball way okay here we go like nice and loose boom you know whether i make the pitch or don't i was committed right so i started to judge my success on something other than what was happening 60 feet away um you know then let's say it was two two and i had to throw a curveball well you know let's say there's a guy on first and second and i had that thought well man i don't want to walk him right here up and then you know okay, now I know, dude, I can't, I got to put an X through that hitter on my chart when I get in, because I just, I wasn't committed on that curveball. So mm-hmm. I had this whole other game happening and I'd come in and I'd write it. And then, then I would have this whole thing, like how many pitches, let's say out of a hundred was I committed on? Cause I would literally do it pitch by pitch. Um, and you know, a really, really good day is if I was committed on like 80% of my pitches, That was a really good day. And most times the results of the game were, were reflected in the results of the process. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was kind of how I lived. And then I went into the 2012 playoffs in that same way, except for the first game of the playoffs was my first chance as a giant to be like pitching the playoffs. Right. After two years ago, I wasn't allowed to. So now I'm pitching in Cincinnati. I'm going to prove them all wrong. Right. All the demons came right back in, man. They were all just like like that. Just like that. Yeah. And that's the thing about when people were like, well, okay, so God's in your life. So everything's different. It's like, "Mm, yes and no. Um, I know where to go now for my peace. I know where to go, but life is still coming at me the same as it ever was. I just have way more tools and I have this, you know, this incredible helper, um, that's going to help me get through this that I can always lean on, you know, but in that Cincinnati game, I was like, I'm going to dominate and prove everyone wrong. And they're all the fans are going to. And then boom, I was out of the game in like two and a half innings and basically thought I lost my opportunity to pitch in the playoffs again after that. And, you know, by a, a couple of odd circumstances, I got plugged back into the rotation, the following round of the playoffs. Um, Cause one of our other pitchers, uh, Madison Bumgarner was struggling with his mechanics and the coach didn't trust him to take the mound. So he, they gave me the ball in game five in St. Louis and we were down three to one. You know, I don't know what the odds were that day. I'm sure, you know, if you were a bet man, you would have taken uh, Lance Lynn and the Cardinals over at Zito, uh, you know, in St. Louis. And so went out there and was more focused than I'd ever been in a game in my entire career. Um, and it was the best game I'd ever pitched, you know, went almost eight innings scoreless, but was not trying to throw shutouts, was not trying to win the game, was not trying to prove anybody wrong um, or, you know, glorify myself as they speak. I was literally like, God, you gave me all this talent and I've wasted it so many times by like getting in my own head about how it has to be this way or this way or this way. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to like spit on that talent today. Like, I just want to throw every pitch the best I can. And I want to see what happens. Like how good actually is, how good am I? And my agent, um, always had this great saying, Scott Boris, he said, let your talent get beat. And that's it, dude. Let your talent get beat. So my talent didn't get beat that day. I was throwing like 84, 85 and mixing up my pitches. But we crushed them. And I think it shell-shocked the Cardinals. They're like, whoa. And then we went back to to San Francisco and we crushed them the next two games. We went to the World Series and we swept the World Series. And so it's like everything hinged on that game, but I couldn't even take credit for it, you know? So I I still don't know how that game went there. I'm like, God, that was – that was all you I literally was just out there throwing pitches so I you know um it was a magical
1: experience there's there's so many pieces there man one Madison Garner was struggling with his mechanics that's that's funny especially during that time man yeah but dude, I so I mean that's the part though that I think you know from hearing it I mean that's the part where the role of God took place man because if that was the old Barry Zito after Cincinnati man even if and again, I don't believe in coincidences, but even if that took place and you went out there, I mean, you would have been gripping, right? I mean, it wouldn't have been that piece and that process focused.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I would have tried harder. Well, yeah, I mean, I would have went out in St. Louis and probably lasted an inning um, because I would have been so desperate to like this time I'm going to prove him wrong. Yeah. But I went totally the other way. I mean, I went into that St. Louis game and also the the next game, the World Series game, which was a week later, you know, game one of the World Series. And I was like, if I'm going to give up 10 runs today, I'm cool with that. I'm literally, you have to accept failure. See, my old mindset would have said, don't even focus on failure. Failure is not a possibility, right? And that's like a cool thing to hear. Failure is not an option. But like, hey, it actually, failure is an option. (laughs) And if it comes, then it needs you need to be ready to accept it or else it's going to destroy you. Um, And so I was going to that game like, if I'm giving up 10 runs, I'm cool with that all good i just knew i just really want to throw every pitch the best i can and i want to make my little chart and if if that results in 10 runs in one inning and i go down as like the worst pitcher and you know the contract bust and all that never show my face in san francisco again i'm totally cool with that i just need to give everything i can to this next pitch yeah and magically right the second i stopped being so desperate for these great results i pitched that game and win the world series game the next year the next week and people are like wow do you feel so redeemed like the fans and everyone loves you you know and i'm like dude no that's what that's what got me all this crap for so many years in san francisco like i can't i can't be pitching for that anymore like i stopped being so attached to redemption and people liking me and thinking i'm great you know and finally when i stopped worrying about that and just said god what do you think of me?'" And God, I feel like God would be like, well, you did your best and that's no, perfect. You know, yeah. <laughs> You're like perfect. Great. You know, um, I'm done. That's it. That's it. It makes me happy. And, but all the glory and stuff comes usually in your best, you know, your, your, your best self when you stop doing it for anything, you know, like trying to glorify yourself. It's just mm-hmm. a dead end road.
1: When, when Bernhard Longer won his first Masters and he's same situation, man, beautiful wife, cars. I mean, you just win the best golf tournament in the world. And he's driving on to the next tournament. Same feeling that Brett Favre have is, is that it? It's the, the best you're supposed to feel and he's driving the next tournament and it's like, is that it? Then when he won the next one, that's where he had, you know, the spirit living in a maniac Christ in his life. And he said that was just a totally different feeling and mm-hmm. that was one of fulfillment what was it like for you then winning in 2012 and, and yeah dog pile
0: it is different because when I had won my Cy Young and I can compare it to my Cy Young because that was a huge success earlier in my career and then I had a huge one late in my career but when I won the Cy Young it was all about me that was something I earned and I achieved and I deserved because of all my hard work when the 2012 success came and You know, I'm pitching against the best pitcher in the league, Verlander. And somehow we magically just, you know, we won and we beat him pretty good. Pablo Sandoval hit three homers that day. I mean, it was crazy. But like that, I viewed that was a gift. That was a totally different. That was not, I deserve this. That was, oh my goodness, I do not deserve this. What did I do for this? I mean, I've just been working hard and throwing my pitches, but it was a total gift. So I got to enjoy it in a totally different way there was no attachment to it it was just like you know it's like if you just like woke up and you like you know you went to sleep you just woke up like on some sandy beach you know and you like the waves and you're just like in the bahamas and you are like wow okay this is amazing you know i mean that's almost what it felt like like i woke up and like had this world series you know glory and all these people saying you're the well it's incredible and i was like dude i don't i literally don't even i can't take credit for any of this
1: yeah and then, so how did like the whole affirmation piece change for you then? I mean, you were going to 12 steps. I mean, but, but Christ was in your life. I mean, when people then would pat you on the back, tell you how great you are then, what was that like?
0: Instantly, <clears throat> very grateful. I got into a phase actually where I didn't like that at all, right. Um, because I was trying so hard to maintain my humility. Um, and so, and I have these triggers, these ego triggers. And when someone's like, you're so great, I mean, I still have it. You know, if someone's like, dude, that's such a great song, you know, part of me want to be like, thank you, you know, but then the other parts like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's where did this song come from? Can you really take credit for it? You know, Um, so there was a phase where I didn't like that. But now if someone's like, you're so great, I'm like, I really don't want the attention on me. So, you know, usually I'll like change the subject or talk about them or whatever. I'll just shush it off because I know that my ego can very easily get triggered and start believing that. And then when I try my next endeavor, I will try to be great so that another person will say, you're so great.
1: So. Yeah. So I always say ego, it really means easing God out. Um, yeah. I get, I get all those right. good acronyms, man, from those rooms. But um, That's I mean, my, my other question here buries this, man. It's like, what teammates then, what's, which teammates stood out to you about how they handled success, like in the right way.
0: Um, You know, ironically, the teammates that were obsessed with like winning and all these things, but could just shrug it off uh, when it didn't go their way. um, Almost like a little bit of like a not care factor. Mm -hmm. It's usually those guys, in my opinion, that succeed the most. Like, they're given everything they can. And I don't know if it's because they have some type of foundational, you know, God, higher power that that they are letting control their life um, instead of having to control their own. But it's the guys that can so easily be like, I don't even care. I mean, whatever, you know, just strike out on three pitches or, you know, give give up eight runs. You know, Tim Hudson was a guy that I always admire because he could give up six or seven runs after three innings and come in and we'd be at the food table at the end of the game. And he would laugh at himself. He'd be like, dude, how good was I tonight? (laughs) You know, and I could never make jokes about myself. I always took myself so seriously because that's my identity. Like, I'm not going to talk bad about my... And Tim was like, his identity was not attached to his performance. And that was... I always admired that in him. And there were those guys, you know, Buster Posey is a guy that he gets his work in. He does what he does. He knows he's not in control of the result. Boom, done. You know, Ryan Braun, a friend of mine, you know, he... Same thing, I mean, he does his work, he goes, but he takes he takes failure, um I think, with a grain of salt
1: one of my um, one of my visions is this is' because whenever anybody says it is what it is, which I hate, it's always after something bad has happened, right? No one's ever gonna say it is what it is, and something good happens. <laughs> so I want one of my athletes to be so ingrained in the process, so focused on the process that they actually hold that up wow that's so great like what, what do you say you know and they hey you know it is what it is totally you know?
0: dude that's great
1: <laughs> now they never yeah. say it because he come across as a jerk but that's that's how into the process i think that we we get to be absolutely that and
0: that's the pure yeah that's the pure sign of like you know i i i'm not doing this for this you know right. i remember talking to a uh producer a friend of mine years ago um And he had all these Grammys right there on his desk. And he was like, I was like, whoa, check that out. That's crazy. He's like, these things are meaningless. They just sit here and they gather dust. he's like, they have no, there's nothing in my life that is different because those are there, you know? And so it's like, but you know, you you gotta sometimes get to those places in all of our respective lives, whatever success is to us to understand that that is not gonna change anything for me.
1: Barry, I've really enjoyed our conversation, man. I've always got one more question is what, what should I be asking that, that I'm not asking?
0: That's a good question. Um, hmm. I mean, I would say, you know, that it's always a good question, you know, if you could do, something different or if you had certain wisdom you know maybe early on which is kind of like cheating right because we all want to like do things over with the wisdom we have now but go back to the time when we were young and had our first opportunity but um, I think that's an interesting idea you know because I think about it a lot if I could start my career over with knowing what I know now uh, I would just be so much more enjoying the experience of being a major league pitcher And being just like, get to go play in these amazing stadiums. And I mean, I got to the point at the end of my career where I was like going to stadiums that I'd played in for years and being like, wow, look at this place. You know, I had this childlike kind of wonder about it because it was a gift now. Like, I wasn't like, yeah, I, I pitch in Yankee Stadium every, you know, whatever. You know, it was like, Yankee Stadium, dude, what, you know? And I think that childlike wonder and that innocence is really the key to any great endeavor.
1: I, I appreciate that, man. Cause I think a lot of times, and that's just how our mind works, right? We just take things for granted. We can't help it. But every morning, man, when I come down, I put ice in, you know, and I, I fill that up. I'm always, that's the reminder for me about how grateful I am for this ice, man. Cause there are people that just don't have ice and I take it for granted every day. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Man. I, uh, I really appreciate this. Where, where can people, where do you want them to, uh, and I'll put the links on there, but where do you want people to, uh, to be able to follow you and, and, you know, buy your book and learn more about you?
0: Yeah, man. So I'm, well, i got some new music coming down. We didn't really talk about music, I guess, but, um, Oh, we can, man.
1: Know. No, what, no, what no you, it's,
0: it's all good. It's all good. I just got some, I just got some good music coming down the shoot, some new stuff that I'm excited about. Um, share, share with us, please,
1: man. I thought the Rhino covered it all, man, but. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, what do you, yeah, what do so you have I, coming down the pipeline? What kind of work?
0: We just got some, well, I released an album a couple years ago, like a country thing, but I'm just, I'm getting into pop and production and things. So I'm just really excited about music right now, man. Um, that's, I mean, I work 40 hours a week as a, as a songwriter and producer, man. So that's my life. You know, having baseball interviews is, is super fun, but it's like talking about a different person, you know, sometimes. Right. Um, uh. But yeah, so now Barry Zito Music is the website and, and the socials, Barry Zito Music and, um, you know, there's not a lot yet. I have the old music on there, but the the new stuff's gonna have a totally different sound. So I'm I'm really excited about that.
1: And so what's what's that process like, you know, transferring from, you know, strict country into, you know, different genre?
0: Um that means ultimately like, you know, just pop music and jazz and RB is where my heart is, man. So, you know, my nice family was my parents were musicians and great musicians and um yeah, so it's I'm kind of plugging into i took all the stuff i learned from co-writing country music here in nashville for you know a few years and and applying that to like you know to the beats and the grooves that i love and the sonic stuff that i love
1: so yeah i'm having a great time man it's a lot of work but it's super fun i mean same thing like with with pitching and you working on things make get to be so creative then in that in that process right
0: yeah yeah endless yeah endless creativity man it's just, you know, not enough hours in the day to, to get it all out. It's so fun.
1: That's awesome, man. Hey, thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate it,
0: man. Absolutely, man. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at DrRobBell.com.